And I want to welcome you all very specially to church. Uh, please help me give your neighbor a very warm welcome. Uh, make sure that person is comfortable sitting next to you. Uh, help me check how their week uh, this past week went. All right. Uh, here at the Elevation Church, we believe uh, it's, it's not polite for you to sit right beside some of an entire service and not even uh, greet them and get to know who they are. Uh, we, 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 we're, we're in an interesting season, uh, and it's, it's a season that I, I know God has determined um, to do new things in our lives. Um, I get this sense um, that, that God is up to something, and that, is, that, that a major shift is imminent. And I wanted to plug into it. Um, there's a sense of restlessness in my spirit, uh, almost dissatisfaction at some point that, look, you know, um, there's, there's something, we're, we're at the edge of something. God wants to push someone into a new level, to a new season, to a new experience. God wants to usher you, you know, into something fresh, something new, an entirely new um, level altogether. And I, I, I need you to open your ears and receive that which it has for you this season. Um, I, I feel that someone needs to, to go back and get all the CDs uh, for this series that we started um, past two weeks, uh, including the midweek service, and just listen to it over and over again, and you receive some instructions, some unique instructions um, from, from the things that we've shared already. And um, I'm also very excited about the things that are going to happen um, in the days ahead. Hallelujah. Uh, I want to celebrate God for those healing testimonies. Do you want to just thank God with me uh, for the power of God that is evident in this place, um, that is causing sickness and disease to bow and to flee? And I want to assure anybody, if, if, if you're, you're, you're struggling with any sickness or disease in your body, the power of God is present here to heal. Uh, it's present here to heal. Um, hands may not necessarily be laid on you, but you can be assured that there is enough of God's presence here to destroy every sickness, to destroy every disease, um, to turn that situation around for your good. And I don't care the name of the disease. Uh, you know, um, as far as God is concerned, there's no great... <laughs> You know, it didn't say by stripes some headache is healed. You know that uh, if it is cancer or, or if it is AIDS, you need a special appointment with Jesus. No, no, no. <laughs> oh, oh, oh. You know, the same power that would take care of a headache would take care of cancer. You know, so I don't want you sitting here saying, oh, you know, my, 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 my story is more complicated. Uh, my situation is, you know, is more difficult. The same stripes uh, that, that would take headache away, the same stripes. Uh, that would take fever away, that, that, would, that would destroy uh, uh, typhoid fever. Uh, that, those, those, those same stripes will take care of HIV AIDS. Those same stripes will take care of cancer. Those same stripes will take care of leukemia, whatever it is. Asthma, whatever it is. And I want you this morning uh, to, to, to just tap into that presence because I know that there's a lot uh, that God has in store for us. Praise God. Um, we're, we're in the middle of a series that we started about two weeks ago uh, uh, titled Choose Life. And um, I've been finding it very exciting. My meditations have been very deep. Um, God has been sharing certain things with me that are, that are 
even helping me as a person to make better quality decisions. And I, and I trust that that has been your experience. If you're joining us, uh, this is your first time here at the Elevation Church. Welcome, it's very specially. And um, I trust that this service will be one uh, that you will remember for a long time. I want you to brace up as we advance our conversation this morning. Um, today's message has been titled, uh, The Puppet Master. And it is <laughs> so titled to get your attention. Because some will wonder, what do you mean by the puppet master? How many of you, I, I, I know that this doesn't happen, um, it's not commonplace anymore. You know, but back in the day, when you go for a puppet show, um, what you would see is there's, there's a sort of screen, and then you have the puppets, you know, that are sort of, you know, acting stuff. You know, but uh, on scene to uh, the, the uh, viewers of the show is the puppet master. Who has the puppets on a string, on, on some strings, and he uses the puppets, the, the strings to control the activities of the puppet. Uh, if you have never seen a puppet show before, if you've watched Sound of Music, that would suffice. That was a, there's a portion in that movie, Sound of Music, where you know Maria and, and the kids entertained the, the, the captain, you know, and, and uh, the guest with a puppet show, you know, and essentially you see how they sort of were, you know, moving the puppets with the strings. Now. <laughs> A lot of times, we need to recognize that the things that we see are not just happening by themselves. Uh, people just don't behave the way they behave um, because they have absolute control of their conduct. Uh, there are a lot of behind the scenes that inform and influence how we conduct ourselves. And so this morning, I want you to look at anybody and ask your neighbor, who is your puppet master? Who is pulling the strings? We all have a puppet master. <laughs> uh, we all have a puppet master. Let's open our Bibles to Romans chapter 12 um, from verse 12. I'll take my Bible reading from that portion of the scripture. I will be reading from the Amplified Version. So if you're using the digital Bible, I have the Amplified Version. You can um, go to that. I'll ask that um, the multimedia team uh, help display the, the Amplified Version up on the screen. And it says, um, I'm, I'm reading from verse Romans chapter 12 from verse 2 says, And do not be conformed to this world any longer with its superficial values and customs, but be transformed and progressively changed as you mature spiritually by the renewing of your mind, focusing on godly values and ethical attitudes so that you may prove for yourselves what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect in his plan and purpose for you. He says, don't be conformed to this world with its superficial values and customs, but be transformed and progressively changed don't conform, be transformed and progressively changed as you mature spiritually by the renewing of your mind. And in expanding on it, it says, focusing on godly values and ethical attitudes so that you may prove for yourselves what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect in his purpose and plan, his plan and purpose for you. And ladies and gentlemen, this, this morning, I want to uh, categorically state that all of us here are stirred by unseen forces in our decision-making process. All of us. Uh, 
uh, all of us are steered by unseen forces in our decision-making process. And this morning, I'm going to be talking about those forces. I call them your belief systems. Your belief systems. Your belief systems. We are all steered by unseen forces in our decision-making process. Uh, if you've ever heard of what we call the iceberg principle, I don't know whether you've heard of that principle, the iceberg principle. Um, essentially, the iceberg principle says that uh, 90% of any system structure is below the surface or hidden from direct observation. Okay? Uh, please put up what I have on the slide. Uh, what I'm saying is different, but I'm going to sort of use that to explain what I have on the slide. The principle says that 90% of any system's structure is below the surface or hidden from direct observation. And that latent component of the structure controls all the processes associated with the system. Uh, what that means is that in many cases, you know, when you look at an iceberg, you see the tip that comes out of the water. It is a very small portion of the iceberg. So let's have a picture of the iceberg again. You know, if, you, uh, if you've seen the full picture of an iceberg before, let's go back to that first slide. What you see coming out of the water, no matter how it seems, second, second or third slide, iceberg slide, when you see the iceberg, what you see at the bottom is several times bigger than the tip that comes out of the water. So you see that light portion is what you would see above water. In order for the iceberg to float, you know, it is the, 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 the bigger portion of the iceberg is submerged. Okay? And so the iceberg principle simply says that 90% of any system structure is below the surface and is usually hidden from direct observation, meaning that those things that significantly influence what you are seeing are not very visible to the eye. Are we together? So when you see someone behave in a particular manner, when you see someone act in a particular way, when you see someone, uh, you know, uh, do certain things, the drivers of those attitudes, the drivers of those choices, the drivers of those practices are buried deep within the core of that person. Yeah. Oftentimes in the subconscious, you know, yet they, are, they significantly influence um, what the person does. You know, and when you are not aware, when you focus just on the practices and the choices and the attitude, and you're not aware of those components that are submerged, that person becomes a victim of forces that are controlling him that he's not aware of. You get what I'm trying to say? Okay, so at, at, and see, I want, I want us this, this morning to take as much notes as we can because I doubt that you would be able to remember everything I, I'm going to say this morning. You know, I'm almost assured it will be difficult for you. So please, as much as possible, take notes. Um, my prayer this morning is that you will leave this service with an encounter with the Holy Spirit. Something that is life transforming. At the core of who you are, at the very core of who you are, is what you believe. Some people don't know the belief stuff. But at the core of who you are, is what you believe. And what you believe essentially drives your actions. So you see the practices... Uh, submerged within the, uh, underneath your practices, the things that you do are your values and your, your principles emanate from your values, your value system the things that you, you hold there some people may not even know what their values are but those things play out you know, go to some you know, organizations and all that, they have what they call their core values uh, at their times the core values are not really their core values their core values are what they wish would be their core values 
You get what I mean? So this is what we desire to be about. What the organization is doing is a pointer to what, what actually their core values are. And those things sit deep within the organization, stay deep in the heart of the management of the, of the organization. And it's the same with you as an individual. At the very core of who you are is what you believe. So the question this morning is, what do you believe? What is your belief system? What does it look like? If we're able to extract all of that this morning and show it to you, would you like what you would see? Uh, would that explain to you why you, you, you have certain dispositions and why you have certain struggles and why you have made certain poor choices? You know, this series that we've started, the Spirit of God was saying to me that it is the, is the main thing. It is the main thing. See, <laughs> I was having a conversation with Pastor Goldman where and he said he said no matter how much the devil tries to oppress and suppress your life whether you, you had a bad dream you ate in the dream they were pursuing you whatever it is if it has no impact on your decision is all futile ultimately what the devil wants to influence are the choices you make because that's what shapes your life so, whether they press you on the bed when you are sleeping, if they press you down and when you wake up in the morning, you make some decision, it's irrelevant. <laughs> you understand? Right? You press you down. Sure, you got up in the morning. Yeah, go on with the rest of it. That, that one is a, is a rogue demon. It doesn't have, a, it doesn't have assignments. I'm serious. Because what determines your outcome in life is are the choices you make, are the decisions, and that is what the devil tries to influence, as we're going to see. And so you see the life of David, a man after God's heart. You're like, what, what, what made this man so endeared to God? And you would see constantly that the core of David's heart was such reverence and fear of God and respect for, for you know, the things that have to do with God. To the point that there was this king who was out of fellowship with God, who was already, God had rejected, but who was still the anointed king of Israel. That in the, in the midst of David's trials and frustration, when he had opportunity to take the life of Saul, so that he could just ascend the throne, everybody knew he had been anointed as the next thing. And even his guys were telling him, God has delivered to him. You know, they, they look for a scripture that, that seemed to you know, uh, support you know, uh, the action they, they, they were proposing. That God has delivered him and this day. The battle is over. The siege is over. David found it difficult to lift his hand to touch God's anointed. It was, it was an impossibility for David because he had such respect, so deep respect for God and for his, for the, for his anointed. He was not going to do it. He would never do it. There was, there was a plague and he was trying to appease God and, and you know, the, the prophet told him to prepare an offering. You know, at a particular threshing floor, he rushed to the threshing floor it, because it was an imagine. He rushed to the threshing floor to stay to stay that plague. And when he got there, he asked the owner of the threshing floor, "Can I buy all of these things that you have so that I can do a sacrifice?" The guy like, "King, it's the king. Please take anything you want and do the sacrifice." He said, "I can't do that. I can't. I can never give to God something that that is that did not cost me anything. I don't understand. I can't give God a worthless offering. It must it must come at a price." Such was David's value system. So, when you hear David is a man after God's heart, it was not 
just because of his actions. It was because of his belief system. There are certain things he believed that informed his outlook, that informed how we engage life and the choices that he made. Our belief systems, ladies and gentlemen, would shape our choices in life. All of us, uh, if, if, if I don't know you, but I see the kind of choices you make, the kind of decisions uh, you've taken in life, I can easily um, begin to uh, understand your belief system. And the interesting thing about it is that your belief system is either building you or killing you. What you believe is either building you or killing you. When you see a man or a woman who achieves outstanding success in life, it is traceable to what he believes. If you see someone who fails, or who rises and falls and rises and falls, who lives a very average life, you know, in terms of impact and influence, who is not able to deploy itself, check it very well. It is a function of what he or she believes. Now, so the question would then be, what are the factors that begin to drive uh, and, and help us to develop our belief system? What are the things that inform our belief system? Now, it's interesting that, you know, in Romans chapter 12, he starts saying, look, there's a need for a transformation. There's a need for a renewal of our mind. There's a need for us to depart, not be conformed to this world's culture and systems, like we read earlier. Because the Bible recognizes that all of us, Based on our upbringing, based on our experience, our, our natural, the inf- early influences in our life, I've been exposed to all sorts of things that have shaped our belief system. So, you look at uh, the life of the average person before you came to Christ. So many things have happened to you. Okay, so your upbringing, the culture in which you, the environment in which you grew, how, how the, the things that you were told, the things you were exposed to, what people in that environment saw as normal. All right? has informed your belief system. The people around your life, your, the people that influenced you, the things they used to say. Okay? Your past, your experiences. People have developed life philosophies based on what happened to them. You know, so when you see, some people, you know, just pack all men and put them in one category. All men are, which is a function of a past painful experience. All women are this. It's a function of a past experience. You know, you don't. You can't trust people. You cannot trust people. It is a function of past experiences, past painful experiences. Your education, of course, informs your, your belief system. You know, the things you understand, how you your your the things you've learned, the things you've been exposed to. You know, begins to shape how you view uh, life, how you view opportunities, and all of those kind of things. And these things constitute our belief system. The interesting thing is that your belief system is a system. <laughs> you know, it's not what do you believe. It's a belief system. It's a network of philosophies, ideologies, personal convictions that, are, that sort of, you know, it's all intertwined. And it plays out. So it's not just your view on one issue. It's, it's, a, it's a, an, an interconnection of ideas and thoughts and, and all of that. And so... A lot of times, we are not even aware as those things are, are being formed. Even though they begin to shape us. But here in Romans chapter 12, the Bible begins to show us we need to be conscious of this thing. Because this is, these are the things that cause us to conform. If you want to be transformed, you need to begin to embrace a new set of beliefs, if you like. And so we see the children of Israel, for instance, they change location. 
They left Egypt, but Egypt refused to leave them. <laughs> Egypt refused to leave them because, you know, uh, you can change your clothes. You know, but it doesn't mean you have changed your mind. You can change, you can move from the village to the city, <laughs> but you are still in the village. In your mind. You know, you can, <laughs> you can move from the prison to the palace and still be a prisoner in your mind. You can move from an environment where you were not loved and where you were not appreciated to an environment where there is love and appreciation, but you still can't receive love and you cannot, you don't feel you are deserving of appreciation. You can move from a relationship where you, you, you were hurt and you were. You're disappointed or you were, not, you were never trusted. You had all of those things. I moved to a relationship that is now trusting and all of that, but you are still suspicious. You know. You're very suspicious. Because you don't feel trusted and you can't trust anybody. So the children of Israel left Egypt, but Egypt didn't leave them. So a change of location or that the fact that your experience has changed does not necessarily automatically mean that your belief system has changed. That's what I'm saying. Because if I just say you've left Egypt, Egypt didn't leave them. We all know that. Say, yeah, that was what happened to them. But it's happening to us. That our experiences change, but our belief system remains the same. And we're, we're in an environment where there's tremendous opportunity and yet we're making very poor choices because we still believe what we believed. People who are born again now, very born again, but their belief system is of the world. They are functioning like people who Egypt has not left. The things they hold there, the things that drive their choice and decisions are still based on their experiences when they were not saved. And it is frustrating the work of God in their life. It's frustrating what God wants to do because, like I said earlier on, the ministry of both the game changer, the Holy Spirit, and the ministry of the devil is ultimately to influence your choices. I said before you today, life and death. God didn't say, I can force you to choose life. He said, I want you to choose life. But the devil can help you to choose death. And his ministry, everything is geared towards wrong choices. That is his mission. If you refuse to cooperate with him and you embrace the wisdom of God, you will, you will live a life free of pain and sorrow. Praise God. I found an interesting piece of scripture that I want to sort of build um, uh, further on. In Proverbs chapter 17 from verse 2, uh, this, is a, this is a scripture that's puzzled me for a while. And, you know, uh, every time I, I, I studied, I, I, see, um, I see the scenario that, is, that plays out, uh, you know, around the church, you know, clearly described here. It says, a wise servant will rule over his son who causes shame and will share an inheritance among the brethren. A wise servant, Proverbs 17, verse 2, a wise servant will rule over a son who causes shame and will share an inheritance among the brothers. There are people who should not normally be entitled, but based on their belief system and the kind of choices that they make end up enjoying more than people who, are, who normally should be entitled because they are sons that cause shame. You know, you know the attributes of uh, the son that causes shame? They make bad decisions. Remember that proverb? He said, A son that sleeps in harvest is a son that causes shame. 
the easy man will say, uh, there's a lion in the street. He will not go out. When his mates are going on. And they will beg during harvest and have nothing. You get what I'm saying? That there are sons that are making such poor choices that the Bible describes them like sons that cause shame. It's not because um, the blessings, uh, the blessing of God is not available. It's not because the covenant is not active. It's just because that son is working in a, in a level of ignorance. And even a, a slave who is wise, the Bible says, will have rule over a son that causes shame. So, we, we need to begin to ask ourselves, what, how, for instance, has my upbringing, and what, what, what I've done this morning uh, is to sort of, I, I, as I was praying and, and, and trusting God for direction on this service, there were certain things God asked me to highlight, and I spent time to sort of bring those things up, and I'm going to talk to them, because I believe that people in this service this morning, or who are going to listen to this message, who God wants to help in these areas. First one is upbringing part, the upbringing. If you grew up in a particular environment that has informed, you know, a belief system that is toxic, you need to get, you need to get it out of your system. You need to get it out of your system. If you grew up in an environment where there was poverty and desperation and lack, and you heard them tell you all the time, we don't have money, we don't have money, we can't do it, you can't do it, you can't do it. It becomes challenging when you step out there to dream big. There are certain things you will exclude yourself from. When they're talking about it, you just you, you believe they're not talking about you. Do you understand? What I'm you feel it, this thing is not it is not applicable to me. It's not that conversation is not something I should get involved in because you grew up in an environment of poverty and certain things have entered into your mind, and so you can't even you can't fathom that experience. You can't fathom being in that space. You know, and so you are blind to opportunities. Your capacity to pursue certain things has been significantly hampered because you can't see it. You understand what I'm trying to say? And people like that, you will just find out that there's certain other sort of belief systems that are driving your mind. Like you are desperate. Um, you're always looking for other people to open the doors for you, other people to resource you and make stuff happen for you. You don't understand the principle of value exchange, that I have value, I, I have, there's something that I can bring to the table and I can be rewarded for what I have and I can continue to increase my capacity to add value and increase the reward that comes to me until I can achieve everything that I want to achieve. You, you, you just realize that that person has a restriction on his or her mind. For some people, like I said, it's an environment where you have been abused and talked down you know, your parents said they were motivating you, and the way they were motivating you was to talk you down. Oh no, do. When you when they were fifteen, your class, you came forty-eight. You became number forty. They abused the life out of you. See, so at the bottom of the class, bottom of the class, you, you came twenty. They said, Ah, is it all human beings that were one to ninety? You came ten. They said, What is wrong with you? Your next door neighbor. His, his son has been coming first. You know, as in, there was never really anything you did that was good enough. You get what I'm trying to say? People just constantly beat down on you and your self-esteem has been damaged. And now, it's affecting your capacity to make sound choices because you don't think so much of yourself. Even though you look all packaged and all of that, you're just, you have complex. You don't think you're good enough. You have been compared to people so many times and every time they compared you, you didn't match up. If you don't confront these 
kind of things, they settle in gradually. So you enter an abusive relationship, someone is taking advantage of you, you can't speak up. You, you get a boss who is walking all over you in the office, you're like, you're used to it. It's, it's fine. You know, that's how I, I you know, I'm, I'm, I don't think, it's even a privilege to be working here. So, you know what? Can do whatever they want to do to me. And there are Christians who are like that. Egypt, the effect of Egypt, how you have been treated, has stayed. And we don't even acknowledge it. We, we, we don't take that trip anymore to say, why am I functioning like this? Are we together? Another interesting thing that I want to talk about, and I want to take my time this morning, is what I call half lies or half truth. What is half truth is a lie. But if I say lies, you know, I know the way your mind works lies. Yes, you're supposed to believe a lie. But there are half truths. You see, at times half truths are more dangerous than lies. <laughs> Let me explain what I mean by half truths. There's power in the church, there's spiritual power. The Holy Spirit, I can be healed. I can't, but in my mind, that power functions outside of me. Can I give you an example? I'm sure that a large percentage of people in this service this morning are born again and filled with the Holy Spirit. But every time you need to engage the power of God, your mind just goes to a leader, a pastor, a somebody outside you. Because there's something in you that says spiritual power is available in the church, but it's outside of me. It's, it's, it's reachable. <laughs> it's there. You know what I'm saying? You see, I was, I was studying the scripture yesterday. I was sharing this with uh, Bobiodu. I said, when Peter was speaking in Acts chapter 2, I was saying, ah, this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. On the day of Pentecost, I was saying, this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, there will be, uh, be an appointment of the Spirit of God on all flesh. And young men shall see visions, the old men shall dream dreams. You know, I, know like I was describing the powerful thing. Something happened to me when I was studying that recently. And I said to myself, hey, 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 hang on. Look at the excitement with which the prophets were talking about these days. The way they were describing how the, when the Spirit of God is poured upon flesh, the kind of awesome things that will happen. That the people that the Spirit comes upon, they will see visions. They will dream dreams. They will prophesy under the Spirit of the Spirit. The dreams were not saying they will sleep and be uh, eating beans in their dream. As in, it wasn't talking about useless dream. It was saying dreams of God. You know what I'm saying? So it wasn't saying they will be dreaming. People have been dreaming since. So the problem with telling us that people will be dreaming when the Holy Spirit comes. That would be a useless statement. People have been dreaming since time immemorial. So when he said they would dream dreams, he was talking about a, a type of vision. God revealing things to people in the night. That they will see visions, that they will speak as inspired by the Holy Spirit. And this time around, it's going to be happening wholesale. It's not going to be select few people. That it was, and then John the Baptist came and said the same. He said, look, me, I'm, uh, who am I? I'm just here to herald the coming of the Savior. That the person that is coming, he's coming in a new dimension. He's going to baptize people with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Ah, if I, it's such an awesome thing, I can't lose in the sandal. What it's bringing is fresh. It's unseen. This is the time we have been waiting for. And the Spirit of God says to me, and we are the one living in that time. And we are behaving like those days were more glorious. You understand what I'm saying? Yeah? We are the ones that the prophets were saying, Ha! The Holy Spirit. It will be powerful. They will be doing this. They will be doing that. Now you have the Holy Spirit 
And we're behaving like, ha, ah, Prophet Elijah. Hmm. Powerful man of God. They did awesome stuff back, back then. Where is the God of Elijah? Ah! Something is a bit off. Turn to me. Do you get what I'm trying to say? Ah, Elijah was saying, what is going to happen then? Daniel, what was going to happen then? Joe, what was going to happen then? We are saying, ha, ah, Daniel. Enter lions there. Big boy. Those are the patriarchs. <laughs> you see, the problem with half truth is we, we there is an element of truth in what we believe. We have mixed it up. And it it does not produce because it's still a lie. The reason why people Christians are not operating in a label of power is because that is how we're mind. I've baptized the Holy Spirit, too. I know. But power is in my perimeter somewhere. I can call for it and hope that something will happen. That's half truth. Another half truth, please hear me very well this morning, is the concept of God's love is something I have to earn. People don't say it, but we behave it. I have to earn God's love. You see, these are belief systems that are incapacitating us as Christians. You know, the, the foundation of your relationship with God is the love of God. The day you miss that, so when Paul was saying that you may be able to comprehend the height, the, the depth, and, and the breadth, and all of that of God's love, he was saying something profound. If you don't understand that God loves you, your faith cannot produce. Because faith works by love. And you know, I'm not just going to throw that scripture out there. Let me explain what I'm trying to say. You have to get to a point in your life where you know God loves me so much that I can trust him. That even if there is no physical manifestation of what I desire, I am super confident that will come true for me because his love for me is unequal. Ladies and gentlemen, you need to recognize this morning that it is not the covenant that binds God to us per se. It is the love that God had for us that made him come down to make a covenant in the first instance. He didn't need to come and make a covenant. Like, I got, got the, I'm in covenant with God. So, it is not even about the, the legalism of the arrangement. It is about the motive. That God came looking for us, principally because he loved us. He, he allowed himself to enter into a covenant with us because he loved us. Because he loves us so much. And bound himself to an, with, with an oath to say, if I don't do this, I'm not God. If you don't understand that dimension of love, it's difficult for you to really flourish as a believer. Because there's something in our mind that says, I've not behaved well enough to be, to be disloved. I've not behaved well, well enough to enjoy this. Maybe the reason why I'm going through this experience is that God doesn't love me like he loves Pastor Devo or Pastor Godman. It's unfathomable that God can love me the way He loves Jesus Christ. How? Who am I? It is that is the thing that blows our mind. That that's how we're loved. So the half truth is we don't say it. I have to end it, but we behave like that. That is what is in our belief system. I have to end it. I have to work for it. I'm not sure how God feels about me right now. So maybe that's why I I I, I don't feel qualified for this. I'm not bold about this. Or I'm not confident. Whenever, or if I've asked for something that's not happened yet, I begin to question whether God will do it. You know that whole process of waiting. So the devil begins to say, are you sure God is going to do this thing? Maybe he's busy. Maybe it's on your turn. Maybe he may never even do it self. Are you not saying to yourself, my God loves me too much? Look, he's always on time. 
He will do it. I may not understand his timing, but I'm confident about his love. I may not understand, you know, how it is playing out. But I, one thing I know for sure is that it is all in my interest. God is not holding back. He, he can't hold back. He came pursuing us with the covenant. He came pursuing us by sacrificing his son. He came pursuing us with everything. So what I'm saying is, the lie, the half-truth is, I know God loves. I know his love. But in my own context, there's still something I need to do to qualify for it. That belief system is robbing us significantly. That's the second half truth. The third half truth I want to talk about this morning is an, an, an interesting one. Okay, so um, let me just drop a scripture here. First uh, John chapter 4, verse 18. I told you to please write. First John chapter 4, verse 18 uh, says there is no fear in love. I'm, I'm reading the amplified version. Say there is no fear in love. Uh, dread does not exist. Say, but perfect. Complete, full-grown love drives out fear. Because fear involves the expectation of divine punishment. So I'll take that again. First John 4, 18, the Amplified Version. See, there is no fear in love. Dread does not exist. In love, dread does not exist. Perfect, complete, full-grown love drives out fear. Because fear involves the expectation of divine punishment. So the one who is afraid of God's judgment is not perfect in love, has not grown into a sufficient understanding of God's love. Some people don't have a sufficient understanding of God's love. And so, when you're in a situation, you're questioning, you're even questioning God, God's, uh, God's willingness. You're questioning God's commitment. You're questioning God's readiness to do it. We don't quite say it, but that's what our actions show. That's what our choices reflect. That's what our decisions begin to model. That we have not grown into a sufficient understanding of God's love. The third half-truth is, I had to look for a name for it. Please, I want you to follow me here. I call it, one virtue fix all. One virtue fixes all. One virtue fix all. Mindset. And this one is a Christian uh, disease. One virtue fix all. Let me explain. Let me give you an example. The one virtue fix all mindset is because I'm a virgin, I will have a great marriage. Because I'm a virgin, a, my husband will be a good man. Things must play out. Uh, because I don't give or take bribe, God is supposed to make me prosper. He owes me. You see, the problem with one virtue fix all mindset is. Life is not like that. You are honored for your, for your obedience. And I'm not, please, I'm not trying to play down any of these things. Don't, don't get me wrong. Because someone here, maybe I give you right there. Hey, I knew, I knew, I knew. <laughs> or you yeah, have been trying to, you know, keep your virginity. Please do that. There's, a, there's awesome reward where you honor God. That's, that's, you, are, you are respecting the marriage covenant. So I'm not in any way suggesting that you should not care. What I'm simply saying is that the one virtue fix all mindset believes that if I'm doing one thing right, I have no other obligation. So I'm a virgin. I don't have character. I'm impolite. I'm, you know, I'm saucy. I'm unforgiving. You know? I'm bitter. But that's what I'm holding. I'm going to attract a great man. He's a, you know, because I, I have this one virtue. You know, everything else around me is supposed God owes it to me. I'm keeping. Now, the problem is, what you are doing is great, but there are other things. <laughs> you need to, to support it. 
I don't give bribe. I, I'm proud of you. And God bless you for it. But you need to be diligent. <laughs> you need to be competent. Do you understand? If you are not giving bribe and you are incompetent, you'll be poor. You have poverty enough. You'll go to heaven, but <laughs> they don't, you know, they, they're not, you know, they don't necessarily tie together. Do you get what I'm trying to say? And I, I've seen Christians like that. They're not hardworking. They don't have, they, they don't have good, you know, interpersonal skills. They're not, they're not effective in their leadership. They don't build leadership skills. They don't, they're not working in love. They're not resourceful. But the thing they're holding is, I'm a righteous, I never, you can never, hold the breath for me. For what? Me and my God. Whatever truth it can think, I will, I will make it. And he will go through things for a long time. <laughs> and it's not God's fault. You do get it. It's not God's fault. It's a one virtue fix all mindset. Now, I've, I've touched to, there are many more like that. that. I just have one virtue. That one virtue is supposed to fix my life. That's the only thing I hold on to. I'll read a scripture that we're all familiar with. It's just that we may not have seen in that light. In the book of First Peter, chapter 1, verse 5 to 9, Peter, <laughs> Peter says, uh, uh, this is very interesting. He says, I'm reading the New King James Version. He says, also for this reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith, virtue. To your virtue, knowledge. To knowledge, self-control. <laughs> to self-control, perseverance. To perseverance, godliness. To godliness, brotherly kindness. Are you seeing it? To brotherly kindness, brotherly love. For if these things are yours and are bound, you will neither be barren or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who lacks this thing is short-sighted, even to the blindness and has forgotten was cleansed from the old sins. So he said, giving all diligence, add to your faith. Add. It's not, you can't use one. Add these following things to your faith, virtue, virtue, knowledge, knowledge. You get what I'm saying? And on, and on, and on like that. The half truth here is, God owes me because I've done well in one area of my life. But you have a responsibility to grow. Now, these are subtle mindsets that affects how we behave or, or the excuses we give. For poor choices and wrong decisions. Are we together? So, uh, the question we, we need to ask ourselves is what, what belief system is running, is, is running my program? You know, if you don't want to use Puppet Master, you can see your, your pro, how, <laughs> what, what software am I running on? Is there a belief system that is holding you down, that is informing certain perspectives? Because, you see, the subtle thing about, and, and I want to say this, uh, very important for me to say this. You can't afford to be ignorant about your ignorance. You know? You see, you can't afford to be ignorant about your ignorance. The painful part for a lot of people is that they are not aware of their ignorance. They're not aware of what they don't know. And you see, the sort of thing about ignorance I was going to say, you know, uh, is that most ignorant people are not aware that they're ignorant. 
And that's why when you read the, the scripture, the Bible talks about the foolish person that rejects counsel. It's not that you know. Do you, have you met any foolish person that knows is foolish? You know the funny thing? When you read the book of Proverbs, you won't know that <laughs> the foolish person that the Bible talks about is not a madman on the street. He's a very decent looking person. Upward mobile and all of that. It's just that there are certain attributes of fools. That if you don't pay attention to the book of Proverbs, you won't know a fool when you see one. A fool rejects sound counsel. He knows everything. So a fool usually feels fool. You get what I'm trying to say? A fool does, is not aware of knowledge gap because his mind is not empty. His mind is just full of the wrong things. A fool has an opinion. A fool is not someone that doesn't have opinions. I don't know. No, a fool knows. That's the reason he rejects knowledge. Don't you get it? He knows. A fool is full of information. It just lies. It's wrong information, baseless information, wrong concepts. So I said that the subtle number of ignorance is that most ignorant people are not aware of their ignorance. Because the ignorant mind is, is typically misinformed, but not necessarily empty. The ignorant mind is misinformed. The ignorant mind is not empty. So if you know you don't know something, at least you make effort to know. When someone that knows about it is talking, you listen. And when you think you know, that's where the problem is. So, there are tons of people in the kingdom, Christians, who are extremely ignorant about their ignorance. They don't, they're not even aware. They are not even conscious of the wrong mindset and the wrong philosophies that is driving at you. And that is why the, the, is the, the kind of prayers they are praying is not solving the problem. Let me tell you something. <laughs> this covenant and this... Um, you know, uh, walking in the reality of God is not as difficult as we make it look. Cool. Is is this is the simple principle of the labor of the foolish worries them because you know there's nothing in God that is complex. Check your Bible. There's nothing. There's no you know. It's not like rocket science. Like you have to balance a chemical equation or you have to solve you know um, 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 dy dx. You know, as in you have to put this and do this and do this and do this. And after you do it for seven days, you add this one for two days. Then you spend two hours and you mix it with this one and you cram like fifteen scripture. Then go we answer. It's not. There is no model like that in the scripture. In God, it is always simple and straightforward. God makes it readily accessible. He needs. He says what you need is the faith of a child. Simple, childlike faith. Just come. Salvation. Look at the experience. As significant as salvation is, look at the simple prayer you say. God didn't say, if you want to be saved, are you okay? 15 days. Now, white cloth. Palm oil. Goat. Tortoise. And the, 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 the pancreas of a shark. <laughs> to procure is free if you compare it to the blood of Jesus. But in order for you to get it, you need to bring all those things. Then you'll be saved. As in, you know, he, he just says, say a simple prayer, right? Two minutes, pam. You are translated from darkness to light. Suddenly, you that you were once oppressive or not, you are seated in heavenly places at the right hand of your father in glory. You, are, you can oppress the devil. You, suddenly, in two, one minute of prayer. It's, in God, is simple. Simple, simple, simple. It's not complex. So, a lot of times we have that mindset of things have to be. And so a lot of people are misinformed and we, we need to take responsibility for fixing that, that gap, that knowledge gap. Because 
like we read in, in, in Romans chapter 8, the, your transformation is by the renewal. And it, it broke down. What I love about it is how it broke down the renewal of your mind. He said, look, if you're going, to re, you're going to renew your mind, I love the way the Amplified Version put it. It says, focusing on godly values and ethical attitudes. As you mature spiritually, he said, be transformed and progressively changed as you mature spiritually by the renewal of your mind, focusing on godly values and ethical attitudes. Godly values, getting back to those fundamentals. And asking yourself critical questions. Why do I think like this? What might have informed this posture? I had a conversation some time ago. Um, two different people. Uh, one was my elder brother. And I said to my elder brother, I said, you know what? When pe- someone you look up to or you respect someone, like a mentor or your dad and all of that, um, has modeled certain things to you all your life, when you find yourself in a situation, in a particular situation, the first thing that comes to your mind is what you've seen modeled before you, right? That's why... Some of us just behave the way our dad uh, used to behave in certain situations. Not because you've thought about it. It's because that's all you've seen. So it has been coded into your subconscious. And I, was saying, I said to him, we need to get to a point where you are quick to hold yourself. You know, become more self-aware. Pause for a second and say, Does, is this thing right? What is, what is informing this kind of response for me? Have I even thought about it? Have I evaluated it? At times, you see people who have succeeded, and they are mentors in our life, or they are your bosses and all that. And because you admire them so much, you take everything in hook, line, and sinker. And it just begins to shake. And you say, well, this is what this guy has been doing and has been succeeding. The Bible says, no, 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 no. You need to prove. You focus on godly and ethical attitudes so you can prove for yourself what is the will of God. That which is good and acceptable and perfect. It is your responsibility. It is your responsibility. So the Bible says this about Jesus, and I found this very interesting. He said, because he said, Jesus, and Jesus is the word of God, the word made flesh. The word of God made flesh. It doesn't get better than that. Yet, in Luke chapter 2, verse 20, 52, he said, Jesus kept increasing in wisdom. And this is, uh, um, um, I'm not even sure which version this is anymore. I didn't notice. He said, and Jesus kept increasing in wisdom and in stature, and we favor with God and with men. You know, the, the, the New King James said that the child grew and increased in wisdom and favor. He said he kept increasing in wisdom. So Jesus knew it was necessary to keep increasing in wisdom. Increasing in wisdom. That's the word of God. When he came here on earth, he was invested in increasing in wisdom. Increasing in wisdom. Increasing in wisdom. In order for you to Tackle negative belief systems. You need to be invested in increasing in wisdom. There are certain things you need to start knowing about. You've known about it the wrong way. Some people are married. You've never read any book about marriage. You are running marriage on your own conceived idea of how marriage should be run. And you are sure you know what you are doing. It is very close to the definition of a fool I just gave. Very close. Because what makes you think what you are doing? You are running an expensive experiment with your home. You say, I know, I know, I know. That's how grandpa did it. That's how your dad did it. That's what's driving you. And your dad has sown some strange seed into your mind. Oh, Bini, you need to be careful. You have to prove. So there's a belief that is driving how your relationship is playing out. Some people, your finances, the same thing wrong belief system 
wrong. So when you see the way the person is handling money, the way the person is taking decisions, he is misinformed, but he's not allowing himself to increase in wisdom. He's not allowing himself to increase in wisdom. Some people with relationships. See, God gave me a word for someone this morning. And the way he said it is, he said you have been rewriting life exams. And you are not aware, you are blaming everything else apart from yourself. You have been rewriting life exams. And it has affected your career. Everywhere you have gone to work is war. And you blame the people, you blame, but there is a wrong belief system that is keeping your growth stunted. There are certain things, is a recurring, is the, you are behaving exact, that same thing. It's, you, and every time you do that, it triggers the same effect. You, you can change jobs every month for the rest of the year. The story is not going to change because it's you. The problem is you. And God has been giving you opportunities. And that's the grace of God manifesting in your life. This word is for someone specifically. God has been giving you opportunities so you, you will know yourself. But you are not maximizing the opportunity because there is a wrong belief system that is affecting how you are engaging with your work, how you are engaging your colleagues, how that, that whole work environment and this just is, is, it's kept you in that place. I believe that God is giving you victory today in the name of Jesus. We need to take responsibility for lining up our beliefs with the world. You know, so, so people say, why do I come to church? Why do I come to church? Why do I need to read the Bible? I'm not telling you why you read the Bible. I'm not telling you why you come to church. Because there is, oh, there is always so much to learn. There is always so much to learn. Where all true wise people understand they are so limited in their knowledge bank. That they are constantly seeking knowledge. That's the sign of a wise person. You are so aware of your ignorance. It's only foolish people that feel they are already okay. And so you come with your pen and you're standing by my like, oh, show me, show me, show me. What about this one? Okay, thank you. I received revelation. Ha! Powerful, powerful. I'm delivered. My belief system is okay in this area. But this one, go. As I'm making what about the children? What about this situation? What about this? How am I struggling? This there is constant. That's why the Bible says you are transformed by the renewing of your mind. It's a lifelong thing. There's no human being that will tell you that ah, my belief system is all intact. Faith comes by constantly resourcing herself. Books, CDs, tapes, all sorts of materials. Even in the workplace, you know, education, human psychology, whatever it is that will empower you to know how you to function as a human being. And to function right. And not to function on assumptions. You get what I'm trying to say? It is your responsibility to increase your appetite for knowledge. Because that's the starting point. The, 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 the major thing the enemy uses to, to floor Christians is ignorance. Stupid suggestions. Not able to discern when is God that is talking to you. When is the Holy Spirit saying, this woman, she did this thing to me. I will show her pepe. As far as you're concerned, that's the voice of the Spirit of God. That's the way to make her submit. If you don't show her like that, she won't submit. That's how Jesus made you submit. Eh? When he said, love your wife the way Christ loved your church, he loved us to submission. You is, is pepper. You want to use to submit. Make someone submit. And in your mind, it is correct. Don't you get it? That you are missing something. You are missing something. There is, the more the relevant knowledge you acquire, the better the quality of decisions you make. It's that simple. 
a Christian that doesn't have appetite for knowledge, your effectiveness is already significantly hampered. A, a, a Christian, a born again Christian, must have appetite for knowledge. You have to seek. Jesus said, You will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. It is the truth you know that will make you free. You have to know the truth, and then the truth makes you free. Praise God. I want us to rise upon our feet. I don't think it's proper to, to hear a word like this and not, and not spend a few minutes just praying. The Bible says that though we walk in the flesh, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 3 to 5, said, Though we walk in the flesh, we do not walk according to the flesh. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal. They are mighty through God to pulling down strongholds. Can I have that scripture? Casting down imaginations and thoughts that exalt themselves against the love of Christ. They are mental strongholds, belief systems, ideologies that some people, you need to wrestle it down. So, someone here, for instance, you are, you are going to certain mental struggles. You want to the things that are putting pressure on your mind, they are not even the will of God. You know it's wrong. But you are flirting with the idea. You are dancing with the idea. You are going out with the idea. You are having lunch with the idea. You are, you are, you are romancing that idea. And it is a suggestion for, from the devil to derail you. To derail you totally. You know. It's not that like you don't know. But there is something about you that you, just, you are checking out the idea. You know how the Bible said, 